Acts chapter 4 this morning. Acts chapter 4. The Williams are on uh, visiting some family this morning in Louisiana, so be in prayer for them. And as they're out there, they'll make their way back uh, soon, maybe today sometime. So be in prayer for them. They're traveling. I really, uh, I really like that last song we sang. Um, I surrender all. It's an old hymn, but it's it's definitely convicting. It makes you, it makes you stop and think. Am I surrendering everything to Him? All. I, I once had a professor in uh, in seminary, and uh, he said, "Do you know what all means?" And uh, he said, "It's pretty simple." That all means all, and that's all all means. And uh, it's convicting. And is every part of me, am I surrendering to him? We're going to talk a little bit about that uh, this morning. Uh, it's been a few Sundays ago when I preached. I preached in Romans chapter 12, and it was verse 1 and 2. And I know you guys remember every single part of that sermon. And, um, but uh, it, was, it was dealing with authentic Christianity. And really, this morning, it's kind of going to tie into that because what we learned about then, this is pretty much what we're going to see is kind of the legwork. We're going to see it fleshed out in real life here in Acts chapter 4. So, in, uh, in Acts chapter 4, we'll begin in verse 1 in just a minute. But when I think about authentic Christi- Christianity, like living for Christ, being real, um, often my mind goes to um, those of our brothers and sisters that are being persecuted in other parts of the world. You know, if you look back in church history, and if you look at the Bible in the early church, we see on record the first martyr was Stephen in Acts chapter 7. And since then, there had been countless countless of our brothers and sisters in Christ that have paid the ultimate sacrifice. They're dying for Christ in horrendous ways. Whether it be through um, um, crucifixion, um, burning at the stake, um, pouring hot tar oil on, in, on, on them, being thrown into lions' dens of, of animals that would come and rip them to shreds one by one. Horrendous ways of dying. Our brothers and sisters have sacrificed the ultimate death. And I'm not saying that we are called to that life, that we're called, every one of us, we're going to go and we're going to die a martyr's death. But like I said last time, we are called to live a martyr's life, to die to self that Christ may live in and through us. And we see a great example of that this morning in Acts chapter 4. So let's begin. And, and before I do, though, a little by way of context uh, where we're at. In Acts 1, we have the ascension of Jesus. So Jesus goes back into heaven. And the disciples are left there wondering, okay, what's next? Uh, what are we going to do? They were, they were promised the Holy Spirit would come. I don't think they fully grasped or understood what that would look like or when it would come or how it would come. But they were promised that. And then in Acts 2, we see that it shows up. We see that Peter preaching at Pentecost and 3,000 souls were saved that day. The 
Holy Spirit of God showed up. And that radically changed the landscape of Christianity forever. And in chapter 3, we see that the lame man was healed at Gate Beautiful. It was Peter and John that were there, and it drew a crowd. A lot of people were curious and wondering, okay, what is this? What's going on? And so they all came and gathered together, and Peter, he didn't waste an opportunity like that. He preached the gospel to those people. He preached to them Jesus Christ. And it gathered a, a large crowd that was around him. But there were people there in that crowd that didn't like what Peter was preaching. They didn't like what he was saying. And in chapter 4, we we see, we get into that. So look at chapter 4, verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captains of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day. So they come up to him, and I notice first of here we see the priests and the captains of the temple. They were upset of what, what Peter was doing, but they were more upset of where he was at. They were on their turf, so to speak. You don't do that. Look, this is our area. This is our people. We only speak to them. They were upset at Peter and John for where they were at. But the Sadducees were upset at them for what they were saying. Sadducees were uh, religious rulers during this time, very wealthy, uh, influential people. And the high priest was usually chosen from their ranks. And in the theology, they denied supernatural, the existence of spirits and the possibility of a resurrection. Uh, they did not believe that Jesus was who he, he claimed he was. And if you remember, it was them, who, the very ones who led him, eventually it would lead him to be crucified. So they hated everything there was to know about Jesus. And so they were upset of what they were preaching, what Peter was saying. And so they decided to put him in jail. They would have had a trial. They would have had a trial right then and there, but it, it was too late during the day. It was getting dark. They wouldn't have had enough to to bring in people for that and to, to get all the leaders involved and so they waited till the next day and so you may be looking at this say well all is lost Pierce, Peter and John they're just doing what God had called them to do and now they're in prison they're in jail it's kind of a hopeless situation but then we have verse 4 look at verse 4 but many of those who had heard the word believed and the number of the men came about 5,000. Wow. The power of God's word went out. And 5,000 that heard believed what Peter was preaching. The Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God in Romans 10, 17. The Bible also tells us in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11... So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing which I sent it. In verse, um, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, the Bible tells us this. For which I am suffering, 
bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Peter and John, at this moment in time, they're bound. They're in prison. They can't do anything but just, just in prison. But God's word isn't. God's word is not in bound. It, it, it is free. It is alive. The Bible tells us it's alive, sharper than any two-edged sword. There's power in God's word to restore marriage. There's a power in God's word to transform lives. Someone on bed of suicide, give them hope. Someone who's, who's, who's wrapped in that of addiction to, 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 to release them, to set them free, to redeem them, to give them life. God's word is powerful. There's hope. There's hope in God's word. But do we believe it? Do we truly understand the power that we possess in God's word? When we were living in um, Colorado, Anna and I, our first weekend there, we decided to go for a hike. And um, we were coming from Pensacola, which is like below sea level. I mean, it's, it's like, and so we're going to to the Rockies, and we decided the very first weekend, we're going to go for a hike, and we went to the, close to the park in the Rockies, uh, a place called Estes Park, and a little bit outside of that is a place called Lily Lake, and so we, we hiked around Lily Lake, it was a, it was beautiful, and, uh, but it was an easy hike, there was really nothing much to it, and then we stopped, a ranger come up to us, and she stopped us, and she said, you guys are new to, we told her we're new to the area, she said, you guys should check out twin sisters it's just right across the street it's an easy hike you guys would be great it'd be great yeah okay and then she told us i can't remember what it was i want to say maybe maybe a three mile three or four mile hike round trip or something maybe three mile round trip well we can do that you know i mean three miles yeah okay well i mean look we're not from colorado i mean it's i mean and so we get there, and we look, and we see twin sisters in the distance. We're like, that's, I think that's where we're going. And um, so we, we, get a, we get to going, and twin sisters is almost 12,000 feet. It's like 11. And now, granted, you're not starting from zero and going up, but still, the elevation gain, I want to say, was about two, maybe 2,000 or about 3,000. And... Um, so here we go. We, we have very little water with us. We have no food. And we're thinking, okay, we can do this. And we get about halfway, and, and maybe a little past halfway, and we're dying. I mean, we're thinking, is this worth it? I mean, we should just turn around and go back, but I'm just thinking, no, we, we, we got to do this. You know, we've gone this far, but we got to see it, just at least get to the top and just see. And so we, we did, and we finally got to the top, and it was beautiful. I mean, it was we saw it, but we only could enjoy it for like a second because a storm was rolling in. It started thundering. It started lightning. And, and I didn't know this at the time, which I could put two and two together and probably use common sense, but there are people that die every year uh, in Colorado on those peaks because typically in the afternoon during the summer, a storm would roll in and people get struck by lightning. Every year it happens. And... Um, and so we looked at each other and we're like, well, we got to get down. We got to make our way back down. And so we only enjoyed it for just a second. And we had to hurry and get ourselves way back down. Why? Because we knew if we stayed up, stayed up there, there's a good chance we could have been struck by lightning and radically altered and changed forever. Why do I say that? 
I say that because if we know the power of God's word, if we know that it's living, that it's alive, that it's capable of changing lives, it will affect how we approach it. If we know that it can radically change a life, radically alter a life, we will have action. We will take action. We will cherish God's word. We will hide it in our hearts. We will love it. We will spend time in it. And we see here in a great example of the power of God moving through his spoken word. It wasn't Peter and John. Not in and of themselves. God used them. But it was God's word that transformed lives. And that's true for us today. And so, we see here in verse 5 and 7. Let's look at that together. On the next day, there the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. And Ananias, the, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were the high priestly family... And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? All right, so get the picture. They're all gathered together here in trial. I'm sure the place is packed. Everyone's around looking, anticipation, what's going to happen. And I can only imagine that as they were walking in, these high priestly, look, these, these were top of the tops. These men were very well educated, had doctorates. They, they had money, they had wealth, uh, had popularity, uh, had everything going for them. And here are two common day fishermen from the backside of nowhere, just shows up. Probably speech is not even eloquent, what, what they would choose, maybe using bad grammar. And they're probably thinking, oh, this is going to be an easy catch. I mean, who are these guys? And, and I wonder, maybe Peter and John were thinking, I don't know. Maybe they, were, maybe they were a little nervous. It's intimidating. It's intimidating to go in a courtroom, much less something like this, where you have rulers all around that come together and that can sentence you to life or death. That adds a whole new stake into the matter. And so we see here that there, uncertainly, there's emotions that are, that are going rampant. And what they're going to do. And he asks them here. By the way, he doesn't deny what had happened. The lame man is here with Peter and John in the courtroom. We'll see that in just a minute. But I believe that he's there. And he doesn't deny what happens. He knows this man had something's happened to him because now he's walking. And so he, he asks the question. And I wonder what's going through Peter's mind. Because if you know Peter's life at all, he hasn't really had a great track record and put in pressure situations. I think about the time where Jesus prophesied his death and the way he would die. Do you remember Peter rebuking Jesus to say no? And then Jesus saying, get behind me, Satan. What about the time where they actually came to take Jesus away to be crucified? And Peter whips out a sword and going for the head of Malchus gets his ear, chops his ear off. Jesus had some words to say to him then. And then what about the time where Jesus is actually on his way to be crucified? And Peter's approached by a woman, says, hey, I know you. You were with Jesus. You're one of his. And Peter, not once, not twice, but three times, denies the Lord. 
So Peter really doesn't have a great track record when put in pressure situations. So what's going through his mind? Maybe his past. Maybe, oh, man, I've not done good. Maybe the last time he saw Jesus look at him when he denied him that third time. Or maybe, just maybe, the things that are going through Peter's mind are the very words of Jesus when he spoke to his disciples in Matthew chapter 10. Let me read it. Listen to this. Matthew chapter 10, verse 17 through 20. Jesus was speaking to his disciples, and this is what he says. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. I wonder if Peter maybe bowed his head and said a little prayer. God, you know what I've done in the past, but I'm, I'm relying on the Spirit of God to give me strength to say what I cannot say, to do what I cannot do. Because in verses 8 through 12, we see something remarkable. Matter of fact, in verse 8, right off the bat, we see this. Look at verse 8. Then Peter, what does it say? Filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we were being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Stop right there. I, the very first thing I see here is Peter doesn't fly off the handle. Hey, he doesn't say, let me tell you something. I'll tell you why we're here and how this happened. The old Peter would have done that. This was Peter filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And he addresses them with respect. He calls them by their title. He, he redress, addresses them by respect, and he just, frankly, just tells them, okay, well, this is why we're here. And this is what had happened. And look, look at verse, verse number 10. Let it be known to all of you and to all of the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, from God, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man standing before you well. Wow. You know, Peter, Peter could have said, okay, I'll tell you how this man is able to walk. I have these powers that I possess, that I can do this, I can't explain it, but he doesn't do that. He could say, it was just a miracle. Man, I don't know. It's just crazy. I, I, I'm, I am shocked, too. I can't believe it either. He could have even said, it was, it was God. And just left. It, it, was, it was all God. He just, it was just him. It, it was just him that did it. But Peter is specific in what he is saying and who it was who did it. He didn't just leave it, oh, it was just God. It was the Lord. It was his moving. It was his working. No. Peter goes a step further. He says it was Jesus Christ. The one who raised from the dead. 
And by even staying that statement right there, that would have gotten the attention, especially of the Sadducees. It was him. What boldness, what courage it took for Peter to stand for truth and to, and to say that. And I wonder how many times, and how convicting that is, how many times in our lives are we put in situations, not even in that kind of situation, not even fearful for our, for our life, and we're kind of vague with our answers. We're a little soft. When the Spirit of God may be pressing us to, to go a little further, say a little more. Peter was holding nothing back. He was in control of the, the controlled by the Spirit of God. But he doesn't stop there. He goes a step further. Look at verse 11. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which come the cornerstone, which has become the cornerstone. That, that may seem like a, a, a general phrase there. Oh, what does it mean? But those he was speaking to understood exactly what Peter was saying. Because this is a, 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 a verse right from, straight from the book of Psalm in the Old Testament. They would have been familiar with it. In Psalm 118, verse 22, the Bible says, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. It was a prophecy of the coming Messiah. As a matter of fact, in, in, in Isaiah, he speaks of Christ as a stone of stumbling. In Isaiah 8, 14. And in Daniel 2, 35, he, he visualizes Christ as a stone descended from heaven. So these Old Testament scholars know exactly, he, he's, he's making it crystal clear to them who it is, who he's referring to. And so, as you can imagine, that at this moment, their, their, their temperature is rising, they're getting hotter, they're getting angry at the moment as, as the minute progresses. And you would think as though Peter couldn't go any further that's enough, Peter. You said a plan. He goes a step further. In verse 12, look what he says. And there is salvation and no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, which by we must be saved. Wow. You know, there are a lot of controversy, a lot of controversial um, things you can say and do out in the world today. Sports, pretty controversial at times. Um, uh, religion, obviously. Uh, but many people you come across of, you can say, well, do you believe there's a God? Yeah, I believe there's something. I believe there's a God. Well, do you believe in Jesus? Yeah, I, I, I believe that there was a man named Jesus. But do you believe that Jesus is God? That drastically goes down. And to take it a, a step further, you believe Jesus is God and he is the only way to heaven. What a bold statement for Peter to make. With his life on the line to make that kind of statement. He wasn't thinking of himself. He wasn't pleasing men. He was all about pleasing God. What God had called him to do. John 14, 6, the Bible tells us, and this is Jesus speaking, and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. And in 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, for there is 
one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And look, there are many more verses in the Bible. Just go to the Gospel of John to see the deity of Christ displayed. And here we have Peter. This, this, was, a, this was kind of a, a, uh, one of those moments where he, he says all that he has to say. And it's one of those kind of those moments where you drop the mic and walk away. Right? Except he didn't do that. They didn't have mics back then. But I don't think Peter would have done that. But this is one of those moments because they're just like in awe. Unbelief of what just happened. Look at the next verse. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. A great compliment to have. But they were astonished. They looked at them and they saw that they were not educated. These weren't men who had degrees like, like them. These weren't men that, that went to the best schools that you could go to, that money could buy. Uh, these were not educated men. They were common men. That is, they weren't with the in crowd. They, 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 they um, lived private lives. The backwoods of the backwoods, if you can imagine. They were just out on the water. They'd go out, fish for a living. That was their job. They didn't do that just for fun, by the way. They did that for their living. They'd go out, and then they'd come back every single day. Lived private lives to themselves. Simple lives. And they're thinking, How? How could men like this speak with such boldness, speak in a way that maybe even is convincing? They, they just cannot believe it. I am reminded of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Why? Why would he do that? Verse 29. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. That someone could go out, that Peter and John could say, look what I did. Look what I accomplished. Yeah, this man, he was lame, he couldn't walk, but now he walks, look what I did. Oh, there were uh, two people that got saved. I led them to the Lord. Wow, I'm spiritual, look what I did. There's so many, and, and it doesn't stop there. You can, you can fill in the blanks. And I think at times, we've all been guilty in some way, some fashion. But he does, God does what he does for his glory, for our good. And we see a great example of this here in the life of Peter and John. 
that they were just completely dumbfounded by these men. They were able to do that. But God does what he does for his glory. They could look and say, this is only God that could do this. And so we see here, and I'll get back to verse 13 in just a moment, but look at verse 14 in closing. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. So they look at him, they look at the man who's been healed, and they're just dumbfounded. They're just, they're speechless, the Bible says. They have nothing to say. They can't believe what had just happened. The Bible says this. Jesus said in Luke chapter 21, verse 15, For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. We see a great example of that here displayed before us. But in closing, I want to draw your attention back to one phrase in verse 13. It said, they were astonished how these men were able to do that and how they were able to say all these things. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. That's a great compliment. I wonder, could it could it be said of us? I want, really quick, I want to go over four ways in which if we have been with Jesus, that it will be, it would be demonstrated in our lives. Four ways. One, if we've truly been with Jesus, we will be changed. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone's in Christ, he is what? A new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things are become new. So in Christ, we are different. And we certainly see that in the life of Peter, don't we? I mean, we've already talked about just a few incidents of what happened to him before his conversion. He was a mess. He was a wreck. And the Spirit of God got a hold of his life and totally transformed him into who he is, who he was here. If we are in Christ, if we've truly been with Jesus, we'll be changed. If we've been with Jesus, we'll have compassion. We see that demonstrated here as well in the life of Peter, just addressing the men. He, he could have been upset. He could have been hostile. What are, you, what are you doing? Do you know what I have done? But he showed respect. He was compassionate. And, and when we look at the ministry of Jesus and the compassion that he had on those who couldn't help themselves, We've truly been with Jesus, we'll be changed, we'll be compassionate, but we'll also have courage, we'll be courageous. During the China's Boxer Rebellion of 1900, insurgents captured a mission station and blocked all the gates around the station but one. And those that were held captured were, were mainly students or young people. And they told them the only way out alive and they, is to, they had this cross on the ground. They said, you have to step on this cross and deny your faith. And you can go free. But if you choose not to, you have to go a separate way. And go in this line. And there would be a firing line where they would be shot and killed. And so, terribly frightened, of, of course, the first seven students trampled the cross, denied their faith and were allowed to go free. But the eighth student, a young girl, 
refused to commit such a thing. Kneeling beside the cross in prayer for strength, she rose up carefully around the cross and went to face the firing squad. Strengthened by her example, every one of the remaining 92 students followed her to their death, the firing squad. Why? Because those students had been with Jesus and they possessed the courage it takes to stand for Christ. Just like we see here with Peter and John. That no matter what, their stance for Christ So not only will we be changed and not only have compassion and be courageous, but last, if you've been with Jesus, you'll be committed. Totally surrendered and yielded to him. In ancient Rome, crowds by the tens of thousands were gathered in the Colosseum to watch Christians being torn apart by wild animals. Paul Rader commenting on his visit of this famous landmark, said this, I stood uncovered to the heavens above where God sits or whom they gladly died and asked myself, would I, could I die for him tonight to get the gospel to the ends of the earth? And then Rader continued and said, I prayed most fervently in that Roman arena for the spirit of a martyr and for the working of the Holy Spirit in my heart as he worked in Paul's heart when he brought him on his handcuffed way to Rome. And then he said this, listen to this. Those early Christians lived on the threshold of heaven within a heartbeat of home, no possession to hold them back. Those early Christians lived on the threshold of heaven within a heartbeat of home, no possession. My question to you this morning simply this. What, what would you say would be holding you back? What would be holding you back if never trusted Christ as your Savior? And as Christians, what would be holding us back for totally surrendering to Him everything? May not cost us our lives. God may not call us to live, to die a martyr's death, but he is calling us to live a martyr's life. That we would die daily to self. That Christ would live in and through us. And that he would be glorified in all we do. Let's pray. Lord, we, we love you. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the testimony of scripture. And what we learned this morning and how you worked in the life of your saints. Many things were accomplished as we read the stories in the Bible. And even today, things were accomplished. And it was all by your working and by your will and your way. And Lord, help us to realize in all that we do and all that we say and the people that we come in contact with, that it's not us. Lord, help us to be filled with the Spirit of God of God would be on our life, that it would be evident, and that when people see us as Christians, they would see something different, that they maybe, just maybe, could look at our lives and say, yeah, we've been with Jesus. 
rest of this day and all we do in private and honor and glory to you in Christ's name.